Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie Martin. Thanks for joining us for another edition of Texas Ag Today. I'm your host, Carrie Martin, along with the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State. And we're standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. From the piney woods of East Texas, out to the rocky ranges of the Trans-Pecos, and from the Panhandle down to the Rio Grande Valley. Texas red meat production fell in November. I'm Jessica Dolmel, and I'll have that story coming up on Texas Ag Today. Rice farmers donate thousands of pounds of rice to Austin Food Bank. I'm Tom Nicoletti, and I'll have that story on Texas Ag Today. Seed catalogs are coming in the mail now. We'll talk about selection of trees, shrubs, and vegetables for Texas. Please join me, John Begnaugh. We'll have those stories, plus the latest news from Washington, Texas wildlife news, and a complete look at the markets all coming up. But first, here's Jessica Domel with news headlines. Commercial red meat production in Texas fell 31.3 million pounds from October to 378.1 million pounds in November. According to the U.S. Department of Agriculture, that's 18.1 million pounds lower than the same time last year. 462,500 head of cattle were harvested in Texas in November. That's down 26,800 head from November of 2019. The average live weight was 1,328 pounds. That's up 7 pounds from 2019. The annual Blackland Income Growth Conference will be held virtually from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. January 5th. The event is free. For details and a pre-register, visit today.agrilife.org. South Korea has reportedly met its goals for U.S. rice purchases that were outlined as part of their commitment to the World Trade Organization. According to USA Rice, South Korea has purchased more than 132,000 metric tons of U.S. rice over the past year. The rice purchase goal was implemented January 1st and was met December 16th. The Northeast Panhandle Crop Profitability Conference will be held online January 7th. The event is hosted by the Extension Offices in Ocaltree and Lipscomb Counties. Cost is $10. You must RSVP by 5 p.m. on January 5th to either Extension Office. Details are available at today.agrilife.org. The U.S. hog herd is getting smaller. USDA's December 1st hogs and pigs report came out last week and showed the overall herd size is 1% smaller than the same time last year. Dr. Steve Meyer of Partners for Production Agriculture goes through some of the key numbers in the report. December 1, inventory, all hogs and pigs, 77.502 million head. That number is down nine-tenths of 1%, almost precisely on what the average of analyst pre-report estimates kept for breeding, 6.276 million head. 3% smaller than a year ago. The analysts expected that number to only be down 1.8%, so a little bit of difference there. Kept for marketing, 71.226 million head, down 7 tenths of 1%. That was Dr. Steve Meyer. 
For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. Texas cotton and soybean farmers will once again have access to dicamba this year thanks to the re-registration of dicamba products. And this uh, new registration, uh, we're excited about it because growers are struggling with controlling a lot of different weeds, particularly Palmer amaranth, which is glyphosate resistant. And this brings this tool back into their camp that they can use on their crops to help control those troublesome weeds. That's Gary Schmitz, technical service representative for BASF. He says their Ingenia herbicide now has a five-year registration with a few changes. One of the changes is the label is only for dicamba-tolerant cotton and dicamba-tolerant soybeans. So all the other uses, the other conventional crops, non-crop area uses are off the label. So it helps streamline things. And there's now a national cutoff date for applying the product. Instead of having the staging where you have to stage the crop and, and then stop applying based upon the stage. So for cotton, it's July 30th is a cutoff date. For soybeans, it's June 30th is a national cutoff date. There's also a new requirement for a pH buffer to be added to the solution to help prevent volatility. And there's an increase in the downwind buffer distance. So it used to be 110 feet. Now it's uh, 240 feet in the non-endangered species area. You know, if you have a sensitive area downwind uh, and if you're in an endangered species area, it's now uh, 310 feet downwind. Schmidt says Ingenia has a history of very good performance in controlling weeds, but they do recommend that farmers use several modes of action in their total weed control program to prevent weed resistance. Texas rice farmers donated thousands of pounds of rice to a central Texas food bank. Tom Nicoletti has the story. My guest today is Daniel Berglund. He is a rice farmer in southeast Texas. He farms in Matagorda and Wharton counties. And Daniel is also a member of the Western Rice Belt Conference Committee, which was very instrumental in uh, a huge donation of rice, uh, approximately 11,000 pounds or five and a half tons of packaged rice that was donated to the Central Texas Food Bank in Austin. And Daniel, uh, why did the committee come up with this very uh, important endeavor, very generous donation? I serve on the committee there and we generate funds from uh, donations and, and, and sponsorships that we sell to the different industries that support the rice industry, whether it's uh, our, our production inputs or the marketing or, or handling of our rice. And we use those, those funds to provide a meal and a destination for our conference each winter time. Actually, it's in January each year. Since we're having to go virtual this year because of the COVID uh, pandemic, we have those funds available for other uses. With the savings from this virtual situation, we had the idea that, that we could uh, help some people utilize these funds. You know, I, I see a lot of food bank stories on the news, uh, the long lines of people that are unemployed because of the shutdowns and the economy being pretty much strangled by this pandemic and, and, and the efforts not to spread. And, you know, we we, uh, we wanted to do our part to, to help if we could and, and put some rice into the into that, that mix. Uh, you know, rice is a, a significant commodity grown in Texas here in the South. South. Uh, it's, a, it's a small area, but a significant uh, area to the local communities where it exists. And, um, you know, we, we just wanted to send some from, from, the, from this area down here back upriver to the Austin area and, and help out the food banks there if at all possible and hopefully do more. 
You mentioned the coronavirus uh, pandemic, and of course, that has uh, dominated everybody's lives in 2020. But uh, certainly uh, by making this type of donation, uh, that draws uh, even more attention to the importance of food security, the enormous infrastructure uh, workforce responsible for creating a safe and reliable food supply for the consumers. So address uh, that angle. It all right is irrigated by flood irrigation and and some is on irrigation wells using groundwater, but a significant amount of acreage is used uses the water from the Colorado River. And so we count on that water to raise our crops, and those crops provide a local uh, supply of rice for Texas. And so it's another way of saying, you know, thank you, and you know, we we uh, we appreciate the uh, the opportunity to be in, be here and utilize these these resources that are made available to us to raise these crops. That is Daniel Berglund, a Southeast Texas rice farmer. I'm Tom Nicoletti with the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Now is the time to start making selections for your 2021 garden and landscape plans. Horticulturalist John Begno has some suggestions from San Angelo. Well, if you're like me, you're starting to get barraged by catalogs that are coming in. They may be mail-order catalogs for equipment, gardening equipment, or maybe seed catalogs or maybe even plants coming in. It's not unusual for this time of year to be that way because it's the season that people are kind of cooped up. It's cold. They're inside. They're in the planning stages of what they're going to do next year in their gardens and maybe their landscapes, and they get wowed by a lot of their stuff. And don't get fools. (laughs) There's a lot of things that come to Texas from up north that we can't even grow here, Uh, with the exception of maybe East Texas with acid soils, So many of those things that come out of the Northeast United States will not grow in the other parts of Texas. And so look for the varieties that are adapted to your area. Many counties on their extension services or AgriLife webpages have recommendations for plant material. If not, go to Aggie Horticulture. It's a great source still, and you can find your area, find what vegetables, flowers, trees, shrubs, will grow in your area, and that's the way to start because it's nothing but failure if we have the wrong plant for the wrong location. Be also careful about garden gadgets. I know I fell prey to uh, ordering something online that came, and it wasn't anything like it was, so know your source, plant materials as well as equipment. This is John Begner reporting from San Angelo. The recently signed coronavirus aid package includes important benefits for American farmers, like the Paycheck Protection Program. Chad Smith has more from Washington. The Paycheck Protection Program was designed by Congress to help small businesses stay open and keep their employees on the payroll. Pat Wolf, Senior Director of Congressional Relations with the American Farm Bureau, talks about how the important program worked to keep businesses running during COVID-19. The way that it did that was to provide loans and then forgive repayment if the loans were used for three things, wages, mortgages slash rent, and utilities. Wolf says when Congress passed the PPP, they were very clear that loan amount would not be taxable. She says the Treasury Department took an unfortunately different position. They were going to deny tax deductions for expenses made with those loans. So in 
fact, they were canceling out Congress's intent to provide those loans tax-free. And that is one thing that got fixed in the bill that passed last week and was signed into law by the president. Wolf says the COVID-19 relief bill also had another important item that will benefit American farmers. The COVID relief bill did one other thing that will be helpful to farmers, and that is it expanded the things that PPP loans can be used for. The bill added personal protective devices. So now when a farm employer has to buy special gear or make accommodations for his workers to stay safe, you can use PPP loans for that and have the repayment forgiven. Chad Smith, Washington. Looking for a place to hunt or practice your archery or firearm skills? There are online resources available. I'm Jessica Domel and I'll explain on Texas Ag Today. And low-level laser therapy may be helpful in some equine conditions. Texas veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd has more coming up next, right here on Texas Ag Today. Texas Farm Bureau Insurance has protected fellow Texans with auto, home, health, and life insurance since 1952. With more than 260,000 square miles of land and 27 million people, that's a lot to cover. Whether you're wrangling cattle or wrangling kids, we're proud to protect Texans in all Texan ways of life. Visit Texas Farm Bureau Insurance today at tfbinsurance.com to get insurance for Texans by Texans. Coverage and discounts are subject to qualifications and policy terms and may vary by situation. We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Low-level laser therapy may be helpful in some equine conditions. Dr. Bob Judd explains. Low-level laser therapy is being used in animals for treating many conditions. Dr. Walker indicates in the Remuda publication that laser therapy is non-invasive but owners having horses treated must have reasonable expectations of the treatment. Class 4 lasers are usually used in horses, and these are different from surgical lasers, as they are classified as therapy lasers or regenerative lasers. Lasers can be used in acute or chronic conditions, and Dr. Chris Morrow from Amarillo indicates he has noted increased healing of wounds by using the laser, and he believes it sterilizes the tissue. Also, incisions can be treated after surgery to aid in healing. Dr. Sherry Johnson from Whitesboro indicates lasers have been used in human athletes to improve muscle strength and accelerate post-exercise recovery, and this may also be effective in horses. Veterinarians at Park Equine in Kentucky have shown promise in treating splint bone fractures in horses as the laser is also used to accelerate bone healing in humans. The success of laser therapy on healing depends on the injury and the ability of the horse to heal. And this includes underlying conditions and temperament of the horse to allow healing to occur. The concern with lasers is most of the time lasers are being used along with other treatments, so it's difficult to determine how much the laser is actually helping. There's also very little information on the correct dose and frequency of laser treatment to best treat certain conditions. It has been shown that the laser penetrates light-colored skin better than dark-colored skin on horses, which has an effect on the correct dosage to use. I'm veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd. This is the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. If you're looking for a place to hunt or practice your archery or firearm skills, there are some online resources available. Jessica Domel has more in today's wildlife report. 
If you are looking for a place to practice your firearm or archery skills, a new tool may help you find a range near you. Last week, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service announced the launch of a new interactive map that identifies 623 ranges across the United States that are owned and operated by state wildlife and natural resource agencies. The map is part of Fish and Wildlife's partnership with states, industry, and firearms users who pay for wildlife and natural resource conservation, hunter education, and public shooting ranges through the Wildlife Restoration Program. Of the 623 ranges listed, 183 are for archery only, 285 are for firearms, and 155 are a combination archery-firearm range. In Texas, there are currently only three ranges listed, two for archery and one for firearms. You can find a link to the interactive map on fws.gov. That is fws.gov. There are currently several hunting seasons open in Texas, and if you're looking for a place to hunt, the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department has an online resource. Simply go to the public hunting page on tpwd.texas.gov. To find that page, click on Hunting and then Public Hunting. The website includes information on the annual public hunting permit, regular daily permits, mentored hunting workshops, and includes an interactive map of hunting areas in Texas. Again, that's at tpwd.texas.gov. Click on Hunting and then Public Hunting. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. The cattle market took a tumble on Tuesday, but cotton, wheat, and corn all moved higher. We'll take a look at all of the livestock, cotton, grain, energy, and financial markets coming up next. Keep it right here on Texas Ag Today. Did you know that one out of every three mouthfuls of food we eat is produced by insect pollination, most of which is done by bees? In fact, bees are vitally important to food production. That's why modern agriculture is working with beekeepers to promote bee health. Ensuring a sustainable food supply requires each of us to play our part in preserving the land and protecting pollinators. This public service announcement is brought to you by Syngenta. We're giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today. The cattle market traded both sides of the market on Tuesday. However, we ended up closing strongly lower in both live and feeder cattle. Triple-digit losses in most of our contracts. December live cattle down a dollar, one twelve oh five. February down a dollar twenty at one fourteen fifty seven. The April down seventy five cents at one eighteen seventy seven. January feeder cattle down a dollar thirty seven one thirty nine sixty two March feeders down a dollar thirty seven at one forty one twenty two April feeder cattle down a dollar fifteen at one forty two ninety seven cash fed cattle market still quiet so far this week however we do see some asking prices and bids out there looks like the feedlots asking 112 to 113 this week we do see some bids up in nebraska at 110 however feedlots not biting on that so no sales to report boxed beef prices mixed choice up 223 at 210.05 select down a dollar 47 195.18 
Let's check some feeder cattle auctions now. Of course, feeder cattle auctions mostly closed around the state here in this last couple of weeks of the year. The most recent auction from Cattlemen's Brenham Livestock Auction in Brenham, Texas, they sold 1,291 head. The trend was steady to higher. Two to three weight steers, $1.38 to $2.10 a pound. Three to four weight steers, $1.30 to $2.06. Four to five hundred pounders, $1.15 to $1.90. Five to six weight steers, $1 to $1.60. Six to seven hundred pounders, $95 to $1.30. And our seven to eight weight steers brought 82 cents to $1.20 a pound. Slaughter cows, 17 to 56 cents. Slaughter bulls, 48 to 85. Stocker cows brought 350 to 1350 ahead. Cow calf pairs 600 to 1350 a pair. Back over to the futures market now. Lean hogs closed higher on Tuesday. February up 70 cents, 67.20. The April up 32, 71.07. January class three milk down 16 cents at 16.26 a hundredweight. The cotton market has seen a quiet, choppy trade all week long. However, that hasn't prevented prices from climbing. Definitely the case again on Tuesday, with March cotton up 66 points, 77.01. The May up 62 at 77.62. December 21 cotton up 31 points, 74.11. The grain markets off to the races on Tuesday. Soybeans. Up over 40 cents on many contracts. That pulled the corn and wheat markets both higher along with it. We close with July Kansas City wheat up seven and a half, five eighty-nine and three quarters. July Chicago wheat up four and three quarters, six eleven and three quarters. The corn market higher for the eleventh day in a row, with March corn up nine and a half, four sixty-six. September corn up three and three quarters, four thirty-seven and a half. In the energy markets, February natural gas was up twelve cents, two forty-five. February crude oil up thirty-nine at forty-eight oh one a barrel. The financial markets lower. The Dow Jones Industrial Average down twenty-nine cents at thirty thousand three seventy-four. The Nasdaq down thirty-three twelve thousand eight sixty-five. The S&P 500 down two at three thousand seven hundred thirty-two. That wraps up our look at the markets, and that wraps up another edition of Texas Ag Today. Thanks so much for joining us. Remember, we'll be right back here next time to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. Hope to see you then. I'm Kerry Martin. And this is Texas Ag Today. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.